You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life. We've been sharing with you this morning about this upcoming conversation. Very, very important discussion for us to have because it's involving our personal faith, the struggles that we have with our giftings, the things that we could believe about ourselves, even the relationships that we have with others within our own families and in our external circumstances as well as within the church. It's a story about addiction, entertainment, and redemption. And joining us this morning, Blaine Hogan. He is the author of Exit the Cave. And I'm excited to have this conversation. Subtitle of the book, Embracing a Life of Courage, Creativity, and Radical Imagination. And when somebody says that and uses the word embrace, that means, man, they were someplace where they had to cling on to something <laughs> brand new and accept something. And that is where we begin. Blaine, good morning to you, man. Thank you for good joining morning. us. Oh, my goodness. It's so great. I feel like I'm a little uh, back home a little bit. I was telling you that my wife and I went to Butler in Indianapolis, and we were part of the theater community there for a good while, so this kind of feels like a, a homecoming. Well, that's great, because I understand you just recently relocated over to uh, your southern boy now in Georgia, huh? That's right, yes. My wife and our three daughters uh, and a brand new puppy as of last week uh, <laughs> uh, made Atlanta home uh, just about four months ago. Well, I'm glad uh, that you are there because I know what your traffic's like there, man. So <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, right? I know. But we're glad yeah. that you were able to at least get to a phone today so we could talk about this because this is an important conversation. There is really a story of redemption in here, and I love where you come from. You know, the background of uh, entertainment, theater, and being involved in the creative arts, which served you well in church life when you were in. Mm-hmm. Uh, your role with Willow Creek. And now tell us a little bit about that backstory. How did you get anchored in the arts and what was it that you were doing prior to where we're going to get to the tipping point? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I started acting when I was nine. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota and uh, I just, I kind of fell in love with it. And in a lot of ways, given some of the things that were happening in my home at the time, uh, and in my story, around that age, 9, 10, 11, uh, the theater became this safe haven for me. In, in so many ways, the theater and art and creativity uh, saved my life. And uh, I was lucky enough to become a professional actor. Uh, actually, as I mentioned, went to theater school at Butler and bounced around the country for a number of years, going back and forth to New York and Chicago. Uh, auditioning for Broadway musicals and uh, working in the big theaters in Chicago. I had made it onto a a TV show uh, at the time, and then everything just kind of fell apart, as life often uh, often does. My career trajectory was taking me up and to the right, um, but internally, uh, some things of my my past and my story, uh, I began to realize I could no longer outrun them. Well, some of those things that you speak about, we'll get into and let you uncover, because for somebody who maybe hasn't even heard the title of the book yet, or Mm -hmm. that they don't really understand based on that title, what's to come, tell us a little bit about what that background is that you're talking about. 
Yeah, so uh, I when I was 17, I, I heard this allegory of the cave. Plato, a philosopher, it's basically his idea of how we go from the darkness into the truth. This idea that w- there's a group of people, they're sitting in a cave, they're looking at shadows. One of the, uh, the members of the tribe stands up and sees it's all manufactured. It's actually a big fire creating these shadows. And in the distance, they see a, a dot of light, which they move towards. They get out of the cave. They realize, oh, this is truth. I've been living in darkness. Uh, and then uh, there's a twist at the end of uh, Plato's allegory in which the hero, instead of running away from the cave, goes back into the darkness, reminding his people there is mo- more. There's so much more. And I remember hearing that story when I was 17 uh, in context of some of the hard things that were going on in my life. And I wondered if that was true. And uh, that story is just always stuck with me. You know, I think about uh, Paul and, and Mars Hill and, you know, the way in which he used uh, some of the Greek and Roman philosophers twisting those stories on their heads uh, and connecting them into the gospel. Uh, and essentially, that's what the book is doing. It's talking about the cave that I exited, the shadows that I had been looking at, uh, and the way in which I found myself moving towards the light. And I think we're all in various caves. We're all looking at shadows. We all have uh, present problems and patterns that are related, whether we are aware of it or not, to our past pain. And so the book really uh, tells this, my story of how I began to go back into my story and do the thing that they say cannot be done, which is change your past. And uh, I'm excited and hopeful that as I tell on myself, as I go first, as I tell my secrets um, through the, the lens of, of uh, my addiction and uh, some of my story, that others reading it will feel like they are not alone and that they too can begin to reveal the secrets that they have been hiding, the shadows that they have been looking at for so long. Well, you talk about that, and you've alluded to them, those shadows. There's trauma, there's addiction, there's family relationship in there. Tell us specifically a little bit about those so we have an understanding of what that looks like, because this transition, we know that everything that is brought into the light, and everything will be brought into the light. Scripturally, we're told that. It will be all brought into the light. Uh, But when we do it in our lives here in the horizontal, that is where we can allow Spirit to change us and change that story. Because otherwise, everything we experience, we interpret through the lens of our past experience. And it can create even more devastation in our lives. So tell us where where these came from and, and that journey out. Yeah, so uh, as I've alluded to, when I was uh, 9 or 10 years old, I experienced some sexual abuse uh, when I was a younger boy uh, at the hands of some uh, people in my neighborhood. And uh, that that, that having happened to me in the context of the family system that I was brought up in, uh, which was my dad, uh, who was suffering from his own addictions, uh, and a mom who was uh, extremely ill. She was a, a, a really severe diabetic. And uh, the, the winds of, of that kind of uh, uh, space within my family system, along with what happened to me when I was 9 or 10, uh, propelled me into my own sex addiction, where uh, that was the way that I, my body 
chose to salve the the pain of my past. And you mentioned, uh, <clears throat> you know, this this idea that you know going back into our story um, that we, you know, I think that a lot of us feel like our our past is stuck. It's 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 finite. Um, I, I mentioned the kind of trajectory of uh, having been an actor. Everything sort of fell apart. I, I found myself at a breaking point yeah, about 15 years ago where I realized I needed to do some dramatic kind of life or death. You know, I, I needed to go to recovery, essentially. I found myself in seminary in Seattle uh, under the uh, mentorship of a guy named Dan Allender who had written a book called The Wounded Heart. And there he said something that changed my life. He said, the easiest thing to change is your past. And by that, he meant so many of us have become unreliable narrators of our story. And so some of our work is going back into some of those places of past harm and trauma and recognizing uh, and, and trying to listen and sit with where is God in those moments? You know, uh, it, all of us have past pain, past trauma. And uh, what I have experienced in my life is that God wants to reveal the moments of his presence in those moments of our past pain and trauma. And when we do that, our past changes. And by that, we can't change the moments, what happened, but we can change our meaning, the meaning of them, our relationship to the past. And when we change the past, we can imagine a different future. And when we imagine a different future, we live differently in the present. Will you talk about a little about the gift of addiction? Can you can you expand yeah. on that? Yes. <laughs> so I believe that the, there is a gift of rock bottom, and that there is a gift of addiction. And essentially, uh, those of us who are addicts, and um, spoiler alert, everyone is addicted to something. So I'm not just talking to those who sort of have the big ones. We all have people pleasing we a lot of us want to be in control um all any uh there are a lot of ways to describe addiction um but for me i i feel as though the gift of addiction really centers on the gift of humanness and my need for a higher power uh my need for sort of this daily taking up my cross um and my daily um sensing that I, I, I need God's presence every single day. And so to me, that is an enormous gift. Well, you know, bringing us to the bottom, right? We can see this in the story of Elijah. We see this sure. in the life of Moses, right? I mean, he fled to the desert after being, conf- you know, uh, confronting uh, and, and murdering an Egyptian man, and and he has to run away, hide into the desert with his people, and form an entirely new life, and the Lord brings him out of that into what he was designed for. Sometimes we go hide because we're not in God's will, number one, but number two, we come out of that and step into what God truly designed us for, and sometimes we've got to go through that bottom, and we have to have that adversity in our life, which causes us to actually rise up and become the person right. that God has called us to be, right? Yeah, I, I think of a lot like the, the image of a wildfire versus a controlled burn. The outcome is always the same. Everything burns to the ground, 
but what is left behind is this fertile soil for new life to grow. Um, my life came undone because of a wildfire. My hope is that uh, those who might be listening might be kind of beginning to recognize where, where are some of those patterns. You know, maybe I do have one of the big ones, um, sex, sex uh, drugs, alcohol, et cetera, um, uh, disordered eating, but maybe there are, and most of us have kind of subversive uh, addictions where it, like I mentioned, people pleasing, uh, control. And uh, there is a, a, this idea of going back into your story um, with a skilled or trained spirit-filled therapist, a, a group of people that you feel like you can trust to tell on yourself in front of, uh, that I believe God is inviting us into moments of controlled burns where we can uh, present ourselves exactly what you're saying, uh, to go into the depths of some of those places, be healed and refined in the crucible of understanding how God's presence has been with us in the darkest moments of our lives, and hopefully avoid a wildfire. So my hope in my story in many ways is a cautionary tale uh, that maybe you don't need to, it doesn't need to all completely fall apart for, um, and it all need to burn down before some new space and new life can, can be, it can be there and exist. But instead um, recognizing, okay, what is God telling me? Where, what is my body telling me? Uh, what is my story telling me? Where are the places in my life that God is saying, hey, this is a space that needs some care uh, so that that can be refined. Uh, and so you don't have to burn the whole house down. Tell us now where God led you through the breaking, the bottom, as you said, where he mm, brought you yep. to and where he has been redeeming this story of your life. Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, I, I took these two years off and I began to uh, do the uh, hard work of ex- exploring and excavating uh, my story, and in in doing so, really blessing, uh, that's why we talked about the gift of addiction, blessing some of those spaces that uh, kept me alive. I think a lot of people look at addiction real quick, and then I'll kind of uh, move on to your your great question, is just this idea that we, you know, we're white-knuckling it, we're just trying to get, trying to pray it away, and really, uh, for me, I didn't experience any freedom from my addiction until I began to bless the parts that, that, that in many ways saved me as a kid. The problem, of course, is that the things that saved you as a kid or the things that saved you from your pain eventually try to destroy you. So as I made that connection, since God's presence in, in all of that, I began to sense, you know, an enormous amount of freedom. I finished my time in Seattle, spent 10 years as the creative director at Willow Creek Community Church uh, in Chicago, and I always knew I was going to be, you know, live on this intersection of um, the sacred and the secular. And so after a decade of working as the creative director there, I stepped out uh, on my own and uh, into the world of creative uh, direction and uh, commercial filmmaking, which is what I do now. A lot of my work is working with celebrities from LeBron James, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carrie Underwood, Joe Jonas. Um, and uh, now my family and I, we live in uh, Atlanta uh, in a town called Trillis, across, literally across the street um, from the biggest movie lot outside of Los Angeles. And uh, it's an incredible community. My wife is a writer, and we're really trying to be, uh, as we continue to do our, our own work, 
um, live on that intersection between, uh, you know, what some would call the sacred art and the secular art. And so that is uh, what, what, we're, what we're doing now and truly living a life that I could never have imagined. And uh, going back to the first part of our conversation, when you do the work of letting your, your, the narrative of your past be changed, it really does uh, help you imagine a different future. And I'm, I'm living uh, in, a, in a present right now that I just, man, I could have never, never imagined. And boy, am I grateful. Well, Blaine, as we wrap up our time together, what is one thing that you hope readers will take when they read this book? I would say the past isn't finished. That those who are feeling as though they've made so many mistakes and that the past is locked and it is predicting their future and that there's no way that that can be changed or altered, that that is not true. And that uh, my hope is that they would sense that God is present in their deepest, darkest pain and hurt and in the past that they feel is locked and finite and uh, recognize that we, uh, we serve an infinite God of infinite possibilities and infinite grace. And uh, today, this morning, I hope that they would not feel as though they are alone uh, and that change is possible. Well, buddy, we are so grateful for the conversation. Uh, if you ha- are just tuning in right now, of course, this will be listed. We'll have the audio posted for this at the playlist for Mornings with Kelly and Steve. You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life.